Hey, I hope you guys had a great Christmas and you're preparing for an incredible new year. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called My Story. We all have a story to tell, and most people don't realize that the decisions we make today impact the stories we tell tomorrow. A lot of people think successful lives are based on a few big decisions. The reality is they're based on hundreds and hundreds of small decisions. In our next series, I'm going to help you make four decisions that I believe will impact your story in the future. It all starts next week. Thank you again for all of you who've given so faithfully this year. Because of your giving, God is transforming lives. Because of you, our family is no longer in bondage to debt. Because of you, my atheist friend comes to church every single week. Because of you? Because of you. Even though I don't know my earthly father, I know my heavenly father. I had a home to call my own when I was a single mother. I know that God gave me the ability to be a leader. Because of you, my kids are learning to love God more and they look forward to coming to this church. Because of you, the wounds I carried into my marriage are healed. Because of you, I have the support and encouragement I need to raise three wonderful men of God. Because of you, my preconceived ideas about giving were shattered and I'm a more generous person. Because of you, I'm a better father. Because of you. Because of you, my two sweet little foster daughters have found a forever family. Because of you. Because of you. Because of you. Because of you. Hey, Life Church and all of our network churches, I've got a very big treat for you today. As you know, whenever possible, I love to introduce you to those who have influenced me and allow them to bless you. I want to introduce to you today one of the greatest teachers on leadership on planet Earth. No one has sold more books on leadership than this man. His book, The One Minute Manager, sold over 15 million copies on the New York Times bestseller list for over three years. What I love about him is not just his heart for leadership, but more so, it's his heart for Jesus. I don't want to take up his time. I want to introduce to you a friend, a mentor, a great man of God. Would you please welcome Dr. Ken Blanchard. I tell you, what a joy it is to be with you all from Life Church, you know, and I, I just so am impressed with your vision. I mean, you'll do anything short of sin to get to the lost and teach them about Jesus. And I was lost till I was 48 years old. Can you imagine that, you know? And, and all of a sudden, you know, the woman in management was so ridiculously successful that I was having trouble taking credit for it. And people started saying, why do you think it's so... I said, God must be involved, you know? And so... God suddenly started to send all these people uh, after me, you know, and it was 48 years old when I really turned my life over to the Lord. And it's so interesting how you can see his hand in your life backwards, you know, because he gave me the situational leadership and the one-minute manager and all kinds of notoriety and all that stuff because he knew when I was on his team maybe I could help. And so I am so excited about that. And when when I turned my life over to the Lord, I went to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I want to know what the man did. I'm a behavioral scientist. And I just started to laugh because everything I had ever written about leadership 
anything I had ever spoken about leadership. Jesus did with these 12 incompetent guys he hired. I mean, you wouldn't have hired that lot. Uh, and, uh, and uh, of course, he turned them into the greatest leaders. I mean, how many of you get people who will commit their life to the vision you've set up? And here it is 2,100 years later, and as you all know from one solitary life, Jesus never you know, went from 200 miles from home. He never owned a house. You know, he didn't go to college. He didn't. But who do people talk about around the world? Everybody loves Jesus, you know, because he's the greatest model for living. And what I found out, he was the greatest model for leadership uh, of all times. And I found out people weren't teaching in the divinity schools. They weren't teaching in the churches. So I guess, okay, Lord, that's, I guess this is why you're... I'm on your team, you know, and when I turned 65 a few years ago, I was talking to Zig Ziglar on the phone, the great motivational guy, and he invited Margie and I to the 59th anniversary of his 21st birthday, you know, and I said, Zig, are you going to retire? He said, there's no mention of it in the Bible, except for Jesus, Mary, David, a couple of other people. Nobody under 80 made an impact. He said, I'm refiring not retiring. So that's what I'm really doing. I'm, I'm here today. I'm all refired, and I want to see how I can commute from... <laughs> I want to see how I can commute from San Diego to be part of your church. I mean, this is unbelievable, the energy, you know. Last night, I'm praying, you know, because I'm listening to all this music and all. What am I going to say to these people? They're already so pumped up. Uh, anyway, but uh, one of the things I found in the, our main beliefs in Lead Like Jesus is... Number one, that Jesus is the greatest leadership role model of all time. There's nobody that uh, is a better model for, for us. And secondly, and this is important for all of you to understand, leadership occurs anytime you attempt to influence the thinking, beliefs, or development of somebody else. So all of you are leaders. A lot of times when I say, how many of you are leaders? Only about 20% put up their hands because they think it's all about position. But we all have life role leadership positions, you know, as parents, as spouses, as friends, as colleagues and all. And then some of you have organizational leadership positions, but it's all about influence and all. And so that's really important. So it's so important for you to understand. The third thing that we really believe is that effective leadership starts in the inside with your heart. And the question with your heart is, are you here to serve or be served? And what did Jesus tell the disciples? He said, even I have come to serve, not to be served. And that gets to our last belief, is that servant leadership is the only management and leadership approach that Jesus validated for his followers. So we have no choice but to be servant leaders. And what does that really mean? Well, servant leadership means that you're clear with people on what you're trying to accomplish, that's the leadership part of servant leadership. You need goals, you need vision and all. The great thing about this whole church of yours, Life Church, is that you have this fabulous mission, set of values and all that everybody can really go after and support. Because if you have nothing you know, to you know, follow, what are you gonna follow? Yourself. One of the problems we have in Washington, in our country, we have no clear vision anymore so what, what is it to serve yourself? Everybody's interested in getting reelected and all that kind of thing. We need leaders who first set a vision and some goals and all that kind of thing. And then you turn the pyramid upside down, and now what you're doing is working for what? The people. Working for the people who can accomplish the goals. And see, what you all do is you have such a clear vision, and what you're going to do, anything short of sin, you're going to be out there helping people 
come to the Lord because that's where their life comes alive. That's where it is. A lot of people forget that Jesus said, I come to give you abundant life. We want to always want to pitch the hell card, you know, and say, you know, if you don't sign up, you're going to go to hell and all. Well, that's a nice fringe benefit to me, but what I want to know is what am I going to do now? You know, how can I make this? How do I bring heaven to earth? I love Tony Evans says, faith gets you to heaven, but it's your works that brings heaven down to earth. And I think that's what you're all trying to do is sure, you want to help people get to heaven, but boy, you want to what? Have them live their life. And Jesus said, you will be my disciples by how you love each other and how you serve each other. It's not about you. And boy, that's so powerful. And I tell you, when you see that happen, it makes any organization come alive. Let me just give you an example. As a citizen, the worst department I've ever had to deal with in the government is the Department of Motor Vehicles. I don't know if you've ever had that. <laughs> I always thought they hired human beings that hated other people. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> and so one day I lost my license, you know, right before a big trip to Europe, you know, in, in about a week or so. So I said to my secretary, I got to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and get a new license to back up my passport. And so I said, schedule three hours for me next week in the Department of Motor Vehicles, because that's about how long it takes them to beat you up. See, because <laughs> organizations where they don't turn the pyramid upside down and they want to keep it up, they think the organization is about rules and regulations and all. And you're talking to a bunch of ducks. And quack, quack, you're in the wrong line. Quack, quack, you filled out the wrong form. Quack, quack, what's wrong with you, stupid? Quack, 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 quack. You know, and they run you around the whole place. <clears throat> so I headed over to the Department of Motor Vehicles for my thing, and I walked in, and I re immediately knew something had happened. This woman charged me, and she said, welcome to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Do you speak English or Spanish? Because we're right near the Mexican border in San Diego. I said, English. She said, right over here. Guy behind the counter says, welcome to the Department of Motor Vehicles. How may I help you? And it took me nine minutes to renew my license, including getting my picture taken. So this woman is taking my picture, and I said, what are you all smoking here? I mean... <laughs> You know, this is not the department I used to know and love. And she said, haven't you met the new director? It's always a leader. It's always a leader. Can you say that? It's always a leader. Boy, that is so true. So I went over to meet this guy, see? And I said, what's your job as the head of the Department of Motor Vehicles? Listen to this. This is the greatest definition of management and leadership. He said, my job <clears throat> is to reorganize the department on a moment-to-moment -moment basis depending on citizen need. Let me just repeat that. My job is to reorganize the department on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, depending on citizen need. He had cross-trained everybody in everybody's job. Everybody could do the front desk. Everybody could do the pictures, including people in the bookkeeping department, secretaries and all, because if there was a rush by citizens, he said that your job is in mission critical. Now get out here. We got to help the citizens. <clears throat> so, I mean... It just blew my mind. They, they, nobody could go to lunch between 11.30 and 2. Why do you think that's true? Because that's when the citizens had come. Now, I, that blew my mind, but what really blew my mind, a, a week or so later, my secretary, <coughs> at that time, Dana, had uh, turned 50, and she bought this big motor scooter. See, she's going to bop around Southern California in her latter years, you know, and all that kind of thing. <laughs> And she never thought she needed a license for a motor scooter. 
you know, you know, car license and all. I said, no, you got to get a license. She goes over to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and the woman puts her name up on the screen. Dana's never had a ticket in her life. Perfect driving record, see? And the woman says, Dana, I can see here that in three months you have to take, retake your written test. In California, you don't have to go there but it's about every 10 years and take a written test, you know, to just see if you're still alive or whatever. I had to do when I turned 70, you know, they wanted to see if I was still, you know, feeble or whatever. And, uh, and she said, why don't you take both tests today? She said, test? I didn't know I was supposed to take a test. And this woman, she reached across the counter, patted Dana on the, she said, oh, Dana, with your driving record, I'm sure you can pass the test. Besides, if you can't, you can always come on back. So Dana went and took both tests. She brought them back to this woman. And, uh, and she scored it, and Dana fell one correct answer short of passing each test. So officially, she failed. This woman said, oh, Dana, you are so close to passing. Let me try something with you. Let me re-ask one of the questions you got wrong on each test. Upon thinking about it, maybe you could get it right. Now, isn't that amazing? But you know what's really amazing? There's only two answers to each question. <laughs> and she said, Dana, you chose that. What do you think is the right answer? B, you passed, you know? And, uh, and uh, so, uh, which was really unbelievable, see? And I was telling this story at a place, and this bureaucrat came up at the break. And you can always tell bureaucrats, they have very tight underwear on, you know? And they kind of walk a little bit like this, you know? And, all, and he said, why are you telling that story? That woman broke the law. Your secretary failed, see? Wow. So I went back to see my new friend, and I told him this. And he said, Ken, let me tell you one other thing. When it comes to decision-making, I want my people to use their brains before rules, regulations, or laws. He said, I guarantee you, if your secretary missed three or four, she would have never given the same opportunity, but she only missed one, and she had a perfect driving record. And so my person didn't think it was fair to that kind of citizen to bring him back for one mistake. He said, I would you know, back her decision with my job. Now, would you like to work for somebody like that? Now, wh why is that? Because that person's got the heart of a servant. And he goes into a bureaucracy that normally does, and he changes the whole place. See, you all can make a difference where you go. And the thing that's going to make a difference, though, is how do you stay on focus to be a servant? The way you stay on focus is that you got to have some habits that keep you focused, see? And Jesus had five habits that we teach in, in our Lead Like Jesus program to keep him online. Because you remember, he was both God and man. And so he was tempted like all of us with all of the kinds of, of things. And how did he stay on time? Well, first habit he had was solitude. How much time do you spend by yourself quietly? I mean, most of us don't spend any quiet time. You know, I mean, it's so interesting. You know, we all have two cells. We have an external task-oriented self that's used to getting jobs done. And then you have an inner thoughtful, reflective self and all. Which one do you think wakes up quicker in the morning, your external task-oriented self or the inner thoughtful, reflective self? It's what? The task-oriented self. You jump out of the bed, you know, the alarm goes off. Have you ever thought what an awful term that is? 
I mean, why isn't it the, you know, it's the opportunity clock? Or it's going to be a great day. No, alarm! And boom, you jump out of bed and you're trying to eat while you're washing. And you jump in your car and you're serving the Lord. But I'm going to go to this meeting and I'm going to do that. You know, you're running around serving the Lord and all that kind of thing. And you get home and at night you're absolutely exhausted, fall into bed. You don't have any energy to say goodnight to anybody who might be lying next to you. Next day you're out of there, boom, you know. And I've seen some people who are, quote, serving the Lord who are exhausted. And they're more interested in doing than being. And what Jesus wanted us is sure to accomplish things, but he wanted us to be. He wanted us to have hearts to love. You'll be my disciples by how you love each other. And uh, what we need to do is we need to figure a way to enter our day slowly. And see, one of the things that Jesus did was solitude. He went off by himself. You know, he went off for 40 days after he was baptized. That's a lot of solitude. You know, Satan really blew it when he attacked him then because, man, he was solid. He might have been hungry, but he was solid <laughs> on, his, on his beliefs and all. He went off by himself after he found out John the Baptist was killed, I think, to deal with grief probably. He went off after he fed the crowd of 5,000, maybe to deal with pride because they wanted to make him king. And my favorite one is he went off by himself one day, you know, he's doing a bunch of healings, and the disciples are really getting psyched up. I mean, this could really be a good business. Uh, and, you know, but then it says in the Bible, early the next morning, Jesus went off to, by himself to a solitary place to pray. See, because solitude and prayer kind of go together as two unbelievable habits, you know. And uh, when the disciples got up, and they said, where is he? My God, look at the crowds, you know. And they're running around trying to find him. And they get him, and they said, Jesus, they're all waiting for you. Did he care about those people? You better believe he cared about them, the most caring human being that ever walked uh, the earth. And, but what did he say? No, let's go to the next village so I can preach, for that is why I have come. See, because what is interesting about solitude and prayer is you quiet yourself so you can recalibrate who you want to be in the world and what the Lord has put you here for because we know whose we are, we're his. Humility is really the realization of complete dependence on God. That's when you get, and, and we're his. But then who are we is, why are we here? And you all kind of need a personal mission statement and feel, you know, why is the Lord have me do this? Why am I going to do this? And how can I serve with a heart that will make him smile and proud and all that kind of thing. Well, you're not going to do it by racing out of bed because you're going to get caught in a rat race. And Lily Talman, the great philosopher from Hollywood, you know, she once said the problem with a rat race is even if you win it, you're still a rat. Uh, and uh, so what you got to do is find a way to enter your day slowly. And so Jesus used solitude, you know, a number of times and all. And what do you do? One of the things that we teach in Lead Like Jesus is it's wonderful to get up in the morning and sit in the side of the bed and put your hands on your knees and think of all the concerns you have today and then lie them down at the foot of the cross because the Lord's going to take care of those. He can help you with those. And after you've thought about your concerns, then put your hands in an upward motion and listen. You know, he might have some good things to tell you. A friend of ours says she can always tell when God's talking to her, first of all, 
she gets ideas that she never could have thought of herself. She goes, whoa, that's really interesting, you know? And the second is, question she said, would the devil want me to do it? You know, and she says, if there's no to both of those, then man, he's talking to me now, you know? But a lot of times we don't take that time to let him talk to us and all. And so that's a really powerful thing. And then prayer. My God, prayer is really powerful. I learned from a friend of mine early on, Bob Buford, about the ACTS acronym for prayer. And what's interesting is I, I really think that Jesus said, I will be with you forever uh, and all. And why can't you imagine Jesus right here? My friend Wally Armstrong, who's a great golfer and friend, he and I wrote a book called The Mulligan together, just wrote a wonderful book called Practicing the Presence of Jesus. And he was struck by, in the Bible, towards the end of Jesus' uh, ministry, he said, I no longer call you uh, servants, I call you friends. And a friend is, obeys my command, and I command you to what? Love each other. And he said, well, gee, how can I imagine Jesus as a friend? And he suddenly got this wonderful image when he was at the Masters following Arnold Palmer uh, for his last go at, in Augusta, because he's an old buddy, and they were meeting some people up at, up at the 18th Green, and, and uh, Ben Crenshaw won the Masters a couple of times, was up there talking to a guy, it was a big crowd, and Wally said to his friend, who's Ben talking to? He said, oh, that's Jesus. And he was really he hadn't seen the Passion of the Christ, and it was Jim Cassiesel, you know, <laughs> dressed in golf clothes, you know, you know, and khakis and all. And he said, why can't I imagine, you know, Jesus just here? And so one of the things I like to do with my prayers is have Jesus sitting there with me. And the act says the first thing is adoration, which is thank you. I mean, you're unbelievable. I mean, look what you created. I'm just blown away you know, by the beauty and the people around me. So you start off just adoration. And then confession is next, is what did you do yesterday that you think wouldn't really make him smile? And if you can't think of something you did wrong yesterday, you probably lie about other things too, you know? <laughs> I mean, because, you know, we're not perfect at, at all, you know? And, and so, you know, fess up, because he already knows anyway. Uh, and so just tell him, God, I really feel bad, Lord, about you. that what I did there. I should have listened to that person. I was too busy or what have you. And then T, thanksgiving, is, boy, be appreciative. Be thankful. Thankful heart is just so fabulous. It, it just brings more good blessings, I think, into you. And then S is supplication, which is, what is your wish list? What are you praying for? A lot of times people start with that, you know. They say, Lord, I want this, this, this. No, that's at the end, after you say, man, you're fabulous, I adore you, and here's what I'm fessing up, and here's what I'm thankful for. And now, and then after you do your wish list, kind of turn to Jesus. He's sitting there with you and say, well, what do you think? And then shut your mouth, <laughs> you know? A lot of people don't realize prayer is a two-way communication, you know, and you're doing all the talking. You know, shut your mouth and let him share something with you. You go, whoa, that was really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I don't think the devil would want me to do that either, you know. And uh, so prayer is really fabulous uh, thing. And then the next thing is the study of Scripture. Boy, is that important, you know. I mean, it's a really good book, you know. <laughs> I mean, what is the Bible? It's basic instruction before leaving earth. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing to kind of re-look at that and study it and 
and all. And, you know, get in Bible studies and, and all. It's, it's just fabulous, you know. And I got a big kick out of the first time I read the Bible, particularly when Satan's, you know, tempting Jesus. You know, Jesus could have said, ah, get out of here. You know, you got to be kidding me. You know, I'm at least number two. But what did he do? Every time he said, it is written. And he quoted the Bible. I mean, he knew the Bible. You know, he knew the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't there yet. Uh, but he was living it. Uh, and so the study of Scripture is just so uh, important uh, for you. And, and, and if you ended your day with some time of solitude and take, putting your concerns down at the foot of the cross and then listening, you know, <clears throat> to any advice and then starting your prayers and using any strategy you have for prayer, you know, and then start to just look at the Bible and get, get a, a plan going through there. Or some days I like to just go, boom, you know, and go, oh, you wanted me to read that. You know, I mean, isn't it amazing sometimes you go in the Bible and you just put your finger in it, you go, boom, and it's just the perfect uh, thing. It's just, you know, like, all right, thank you, you know. I mean, the great thing about the Bible, it's the only book that the author will work with you as you go through it. You know, I mean, most of the time the authors aren't around, you know. And, but Jesus is right there. He's the author. He said, what, are you, oh, what did you mean by that? And shut your mouth. He's able to tell you. You know, and uh, so you got to read and study scriptures. And that's another important thing. Those three things are all about entering your day slowly, you know. And then there's two other habits that Jesus had that I'd recommend to you. Because why? Because he did it. You know, so it's not my recommendation. He had a small group that he could be more vulnerable with. He had John and James and, and Peter and all. Do you have a small group of people that you can be more intimate with? I mean, are you even intimate with the people you might live with? There's a fellow in Seattle who studied marriage for, for, for 20 or 30 years. You know, the number one criteria for an effective marriage, does the husband take advice from his wife? He said, the biggest problem with marriage is the male ego. I want to be in charge, you know. And the men ought to just get a, get a life, you know. I mean, you probably got the best advisor living with you. Why don't you listen to him? Margie and I just celebrated our 50th anniversary. And uh, I tell you, <laughs> and everybody knows, Margie knows that I married above myself, which is a real secret. And... Uh, but I've also listened to her because, I mean, she's so wise. She sees things th differently, you know. But it also helps to even have a small intimate group outside the house, you know. And I have a group of guys I've been with for, God, 18 years now. And, and we're just there for each other. We don't compete with each other in business and all. We're just there with each other. I'm also in a Bible study group at 6 in the morning on Wednesdays. And we start off and saying, what's happening and all. And then we got the most incredible Bible teachers. Don't you love these Bible teachers? who know the Bible so well, and somebody tells him a problem, and he says, oh, go to Isaiah, you know, one this, and then, hmm, go to here to Matthew, and they, you know, I go, whoa, how does he know that? But it's unbelievable that what's in the Bible, because there's no problem that you can have that's not there, and so that's being in a small Bible group is really important. So you can have a small group that you can be more intimate with, and you can get back. And then the final uh, habit that, that Jesus had is, to trust the unconditional love of the Father. I mean, wasn't he really interesting in the garden like any kid? He asked his father three times, I don't have to go through this, do I, Dad? You know, I mean, aren't kids like that? You say no, go through it, you know, or do this. 
And then they ask again and again. And finally he said, what? Thy will be done. You know, just trust in, and trusting the unconditional love of the good comes to all, what? Who have faith and believe uh, in, in the Lord. And the, what gets in people's way, I think, is that they think their self-worth is out there by how much money they make, the, the recognition they get for their efforts and their power and status. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with you know, making good money or even getting some recognition of power. What's wrong is if you would think that's who you are because then you need more. You know, on these people, you know, and all of a sudden there's tough economic times and they take a $20 million bonus when they've laid off thousands of people. I mean, they need to get a life. I mean, you know, I mean, how much do you need? But they keep score that way. But what's the opposite of those success things? It's really significance. And what's the opposite of accumulation of wealth? One that's so important to this church, what? Generosity. I mean, that's, that's so important. It's not what you get, but it's generosity not only with your treasure, but your time and your talent and your touch reaching out to people. What's the opposite of recognition? It's service. Jesus said, even I have come to serve, not to be served. And what's the opposite of uh, power and status? It's loving relationships, which is really so important. My friend John Ortberg, who's a wonderful preacher and, and author, uh, wrote a wonderful book uh, about his grandmother. Uh, and it was titled, At the End of the Game, It All Goes Back in the Box. And his grandmother was an incredible Monopoly player. Any of you ever play Monopoly when you're young? He said his grandmother was a vicious Monopoly player. And at the end of every game, she had everything. He had nothing. And she would get this big grin on her face, and she'd say, John, someday you're going to learn how to play the game. So when he was about 12 or 13, this kid moved next door. He was an incredible Monopoly player. And he practiced with his kid every day one summer because he knew his grandmother was coming in September. And when Grandma came, he ran out of the house. He gave her a hug and a kiss. And he said, Grandma, how about a Monopoly game? And her eyes let up. Let's go, John. But he was ready for her this time. And he came out of the chute, and he wiped his grandmother out. You know, <laughs> And he had everything. He said it was the greatest day of his life. And his grandmother smiled and she said, John, now that you know how to play the game, let me teach you a lesson about life. It all goes back in the box. And he said, what? He said, all, all you bought, all you accumulated. See, the only thing that's important in life when all is said and done is who you love and who loves you. And remember when Jesus said, what are the big, when they asked Jesus, what are the big uh, commandments. What did he say? It's all about love. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh boy, that's a really powerful kind of thing, and it's in, in love, and I think in John it says, if you know God, you know love. If you don't know God, you don't know love. And if you will take that love in your heart, it will live within you and see, that's where the action is. That's where the whole thing is. And to me, everything about this wonderful church is about reaching out with love to people because you're not out there slamming people and all. You're walking alongside them. I think Jesus came here not to create a religion, but for relationships. And I think this church, this wonderful church, is all about building relationships with people. 
and walking with them, and in your walk, then introducing them to the Lord. And so they know that they got somebody on their side. They have a partner in life. They have somebody who absolutely loves them no matter what they are and forgives them. It's all about grace and forgiveness. I want to tell you, it's fabulous. But you need some decent habits to remind yourself out of this. Otherwise, you can get caught up in life and get caught on the treadmill and then that lousy rat race. And Jesus doesn't want us. He said, I come to give you abundant life, which is joy, peace, and righteousness. So God bless. What a joy it is for me to be here with you at Life Church. You're doing great work, and I'm loving and praying for you. God bless.